The title of my message tonight is Shut Up and Dance. Turn to your neighbor and say, Shut Up and Dance. Shut Up and Dance is the name of the message for tonight. And I shared with y'all last time that I was here that both of my parents are African, not African-American, but African-African. Where are my Africans in the room tonight? Come on. I'm not going to lie to y'all. This is the first room I've ever been in where I said, where are my Africans in the room? And not one person was just like me. I'm the only one. I'm here. I'm here. I'm representing though. I got you, right? My Africans are in the room tonight. I loved growing up with African parents. There are some great parts about growing up with an African mom and some really challenging parts about growing up with an African mom as well. Some of the great parts, uh, when I watch movies like The Lion King, for some of y'all, you watch them, you're like, that's a great movie. I watch it and I go, those are my people, okay? In July, do not call me. Do not text me. I will be in the movie movie theater the entire month watching the new Lion King in my dashiki. Do not call me. That's where I will be. Another awesome part about growing up with African parents is food. Some of you will not have any idea what I'm talking about, but I grew up in a house where you had fufu. Come on, you know. Palm butter, jellof rice, cassava leaf. Y'all don't know nothing about that, but that's what I grew up on. It was amazing. Uh, and those were some of the good parts about growing up with African parents, but there were some difficult parts about growing up with African parents. African parents are some of the strictest people in the world. Uh, they do not play games. Uh, if you disrespect your parents growing up with African parents, you are guaranteed a syllable butt whooping. Anyone know what that is? If you don't know what a syllable butt weapon is, it's a whipping for every syllable of every word that they are saying while they're speaking. Didn't I tell you not to go to the movies? I said, mama, movies is one word, one word. You made it three, okay? You got syllable butt whippings, it was the worst, but I'll tell y'all the hardest thing about growing up with African parents were Saturdays for me because a lot of Saturdays I would find myself at African parties. Right. And, um, my Saturdays would, would go like this. I'd be chilling on the couch, playing Xbox, probably 2K, balling with LeBron, the greatest ball player of all time. I'm chilling, I'm doing my thing. My mom would walk in the living room. She'd say, Jedi, get your boots ready. You have 10 minutes. We are going to leave the house. I'd say, okay, all right. What I wanted to say was, mom, I'm in the middle of a game. You need to mind your business, woman. But I didn't say that because I knew a syllable butt whooping would come my way. So I shut up, I turned the game off. I got ready. I'd get ready, we'd be in the car. My mom be in the front seat, turned up. She ready to go. She's like, it's going down tonight. I'm in the back like, bruh, really? Again, again, every Saturday, we're at these parties. I don't understand why. We'd pull up at the house. You get to the living room. At every one of the houses, it was exactly the same. You open the front door, you're immediately in the living room. All of the living room furniture is now pushed to the sides. There is loud music, so loud your eardrums are going to burst. Imagine Waka Waka sang in the voice of Mufasa from The Lion King. It is so loud. You walk in, there is only one person on the dance floor. Why he is the first one there, I do not know. He is getting it in. Waka Waka, hey, hey. I'm like, bro, watch out, don't touch me. I try to get by him, I go into the kitchen. The kitchen is the only safe place because that's where all the food is. So you get to the kitchen, you go to the food. The food is spread out. You think you are about to enjoy your night, but then one of your uncles or aunts comes and talks to you. And by aunt or uncle, I mean somebody who is older than me who I do not know at all. Because in African culture, anyone who's older than you is your aunt or uncle. And so your uncle will proceed to come in and talk to you and let you know that if you are not doing a good job in school, he'll whoop you too. And I'm like, I don't even know you. Mom, who is this guy? If you do not do good in school, I will whip your butt. You need to do good in school. I'm like, you don't even know my name. Okay, get out my face, right? And as soon as I think I have gotten away from him, then some grandma immediately walks up to me and begins to say something completely inappropriate. Oh, if you as my age, 
Oh, if you was just a little bit younger, I would make you my boyfriend. I'm like, a little bit younger, you're 107, I'm 12. I don't know what a little bit is to you, but I don't think there's any scenario in which this is gonna work out. But she grabs me and takes me to the dance floor. She said, oh, my boy, come and dance with me. I'm like, oh my gosh. So eventually I get away from her. I make my way up the stairs and I walk into a room that feels like heaven for me because in it are all people who are dressed like me. Drake is playing, video games are on, and it is all of the people my age who are trying to get away from our crazy parents. And so we proceed every time, without doubt, to spend 10 or 15 minutes making fun of, talking about how crazy, and judging our parents who are downstairs in the living room at this point, just turning up, just getting it in. And I was thinking about those Saturdays for me. I started thinking about y'all. And what I realized is that those Saturdays for me are an exact parallel to the life that a lot of you are facing. Let me explain what I mean. That my parents were in this room having the time of their lives. Yet in another room, there were a group of us who were judging them, hating on them, and talking negatively about them for what they were doing. And what I think can be true for a lot of us is that in this room, where we are right now, it's easy to sing the songs. It's easy to lift our hands. It's easy to follow Jesus in this room, but there are other rooms that we walk into where people are judging us, hating on us, making fun of us, looking down on us for the things that we believe. And so I don't know where you are in the room tonight, but I would imagine if you at any point have checked into this Christianity thing, if at any point you've decided, I want to check it out or I want to follow Jesus, that there are some rooms that are difficult for you to walk into. Some rooms where it's hard to follow Jesus. For some of you, it's a classroom where you have a teacher or professor who's made it very, very clear that they're not into the God thing and anyone who believes in that stuff is a fool and you walk in with your head low trying to go unnoticed that you don't end up with a lower grade. For others of you, it's a dorm room or fraternity house or sorority house where everyone else who's living with you can't believe that you would take a Monday night, wait outside for shuttles and show up at the living room. And when you get back in the room, they're going to be thinking, what in the world are you doing? For some of you, it's your living room, not this living room, but your living room back at home. And you've been coming to this space for a little bit of time, but you've never told your family back at home what you've been doing while you've been at school. Because you know you have a sibling or a parent who would judge you for for what you believe, who would judge you for where you're hanging out. There's other rooms that are really difficult to follow Jesus in. And I think the reason that that's the case is, is because we've been consumed by a culture that makes us consumed with the idea of what other people think about us. That we care entirely too much what other people think. We care far too much. What other people think about us, what other people have to say about us, what other people tweet about us, what other people post on their instance about us. We care far too much about what other people think. And I just want to let you know tonight, students, that that this right here might be one of the biggest things that will stand in the way of where God wants to take you. That caring too much about what other people think might be one of the biggest obstacles to where God wants you to go and who God wants you to become. And and through what God wants to do in and through your life, we care far too much about what other people think. It's the reason that it takes ladies so long to get ready. You want to make sure that your 
slaying before you leave the house. If your friend posts a picture and they look good in it, but you don't, you immediately go, girl, take that thing off right now. <laughs> Care too much what other people think. It's the reason that guys in the room, we exaggerate stories. Bro, I was at the gym, I lifted like 300 pounds today. Yeah, you lifted a 20 pound dumbbell 15 times. So technically, yes. But no, we exaggerate because we, we care too much what other people think. There's a reason why in worship, we will stand with our hands in our pocket while everyone else is going for it because we're nervous about what the person next to us might think if we really join in. There's a reason why some of us in small group have not actually opened up about what's going on in our life and the things that we're facing because we don't want to be looked down on or talked about. It's the reason that for a lot of us, we hide who we actually are. We care too much about what other people think. And y'all, the reason that this is such a big deal is because the opinions of people are paralyzing. You'll end up stuck. You'll never grow. You'll never get where you're supposed to go because you're so concerned with, with what other people think that you end up stuck right where you are. You can't do what God wants you to do. You can't go where God wants you to go. You can't become who God wants you to become because you're so concerned with what other people think. But I came to let you know tonight that I think there's a better way to live. I want to show you what it is. So to do that, we're going to take a look at the life of a guy by the name of David. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard of David before. Some of you in the room are even named after David, which is crazy. That blows my mind. But we're going to look at a particular moment in David's life uh, where he shows us the better option, the better way to live. Now, if you're not familiar with David, the story of David is found in the books of First and Second Samuel. In our Bibles, that's two different books, but it's really just one long story. And it's named Samuel because one of the key characters in the book of Samuel is a guy named, ironically, Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. Prophet is someone who is chosen by God to speak to the people of God on behalf of God. And so Samuel is a leader to the Israelites. He has a conversation with them and they ask him for a king because all the other nations had kings and they wanted one as well. And so Samuel goes and he has a conversation with God and essentially God says, okay, if they want a king, let's give them a king. And so he goes around and he identifies who the king is going to be, a guy by the name of Saul who was tall, dark, and handsome. Some might say he was hot chocolate. At least that's what my wife calls me. <laughs> and so he identifies Samuel, or Saul, as king. And everyone is expecting it because he's a good-looking dude. He's a warrior. Everyone's going, yeah, that makes sense. That is the king. The problem, though, is that Saul would eventually disobey God. And because of his disobedience, Samuel would be told by God to then go and find another king. And so the new king that he would elect would be a guy by the name of David. Now, during Saul's reign as king, there was this golden box known as the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the presence of God would reside. And so when they would go out to battles, they would take the Ark with them. They would put it in front of them so that the presence of God would be with them when they're at war. Well, they lose this war to the Babylonian army and the Ark of the Covenant is seized. It goes with them to their country. While it's there, God's presence is not at rest, and so all of these plagues and, and problems start happening in their country. So the Babylonians are like, yo, I'm not down for this. Y'all take this thing back. And so they bring the ark back to the Israelites, and they put it away at this guy's house for safekeeping. Well, then David becomes king. And when David becomes king, he makes it his mission to go, okay, 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 I'm going to go back and get the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm going to bring it to the king city, Jerusalem. And so he goes to get the ark, and he brings some people with him. But there were some rules about the ark. One of which was that you couldn't touch it with human hands. 
And so one of the guys accidentally touches the ark. He dies. David freaks out and he goes, God must still be upset. And so he takes the ark and he leaves it at some other dude's house. I know, lucky guy. Somebody dies. He's like, you're up. Take it. So he drops the Ark of the Covenant off at this guy's house, but then he gets news that when the Ark is there, good things begin to happen, that blessing actually comes to the house. And that's where we pick up in the story, 2 Samuel. It says this. It says, now King David was told that the, <clears throat> now King David was told that the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David to Jerusalem with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpet. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, who happened to be David's wife, daughter of Saul, watched from a window from another room. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Watch out, hater alert. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside of the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, his wife, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, ooh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls with his servants as any vulgar fellow would do. And David looked at Michal and said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone in his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and watch out, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls that you spoke of, I will be held with honor. So the house of Obed-Edom has the Ark of the Covenant in it. David finds out that blessing is happening. He goes with the whole city of Israel, trumpets, crowds of people. They're screaming, they're jumping, they're going crazy. They get the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it back to Jerusalem and David is dancing in the middle of the streets. He is milly rocking. He is hitting them folk. He is getting it in. He is shooting. He's going in. I can't dance. Don't judge me. So he's getting it in. He's bringing the people. Everyone is going crazy. The only picture that I could imagine that it's close to is like a Super Bowl party after a team has just won and they do a parade in their city. Everyone is going wild. And while all of this is happening, while David is dancing and honoring God with his worship, his wife is in, watch this, another room, looking at him, going, you idiot. What are you doing? Do you not know that you're the king? Why are you out here half naked dancing in the street in front of all of these people? You fool. When he gets to this house, it is about to go down. I got some words for him. Meanwhile, David's in the street having the time of his life. They take the Ark of the Covenant into the tent that they had prepared for it. He does some more worshiping before God. He blesses the entire nation. Then he goes home to celebrate with his wife. And when he gets there, he's met by her scold. You fool. What are you doing? Do you know how stupid you look? 
And David proceeds to do something that, gentlemen in the room, I would never suggest that you do to your your girlfriends or your future wives. But David looks at his wife and essentially says, shut up. I was dancing for God. Do you not know what I was doing? You said I look like a fool. (laughs) Girl, I would get even more undignified than this. You think I was ratchet before? Girl, I'm about to go love and hip-hop Atlanta. You have no idea. You thought this was bad? I'm about to turn all the way up. I do not care what you think. I do not care what you have to say. I was honoring God. You might think I look like a fool, but I was honoring God. I don't care what you have to say. And students, I don't want you to miss this. (laughs) Because sometimes honoring God will make you look like a fool to everyone else. Sometimes honoring God with your life will make you look foolish to everyone else. Sometimes honoring God with your life means changing majors in your third year of college. Where everyone's going, why would you do that? Are you crazy? Girl, don't you know you have one year left? You better get out of here with this hope. (laughs) You're tripping. But you know that God has called you to something different. And he's moving you in a direction and you don't want to miss out on it. But if you get so caught up with what other people think, you might miss out on where God wants you to go. Sometimes honoring God means sitting at your house on a Friday or a Saturday night or in your dorm room or in your living room, wherever you are, and watching friends on the couch while everyone else goes out with their friends. And like, girl, don't you know, we're going to Mansion Alon tonight. We are about to dance the night away. What y'all thought I didn't know about Mansion? We about to dance the night away. And you're like, go ahead, you can go and dance out there, but I'm going to sit right here on this couch and dance for Jesus. Sometimes honoring God with your life means ending a relationship that everyone else thinks looks good, but you know it's not God's best. She said, come on, (laughs) I hope you're not sitting next to your boyfriend. (laughs) But sometimes it means ending a relationship that everyone else is going, do you you realize y'all are the perfect Instagram couple? Do you realize you are the next J and B? What are you doing? You cannot leave him. You cannot break up with him. Y'all are going to be the next Colin Savannah. Stop it. What are you doing? And you're going, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, he's great. But is he God's best for me? Is she God's best for me? I'm hitting some chords. Because sometimes honoring God with your life makes you look foolish to everyone. Now, sometimes honoring God with your life is showing up in worship and taking your hands out of your pocket and start holding the TV. And for some of you, it means going from holding the TV to celebrating the touchdown. And I don't know what it means for you, but what I do know is that if you're so concerned with the person who's standing next to you, you will never be able to fully worship the God who created you. And so sometimes honoring God with your life means looking like a fool to everyone else. I'll tell you what this meant for me. About four months ago, I had the dream job. Had a staff of eight people had a great salary. My wife and I were living in this incredible apartment. I felt like God told me, hey, I want you guys to move into a basement apartment. I want you to live on one salary for a year. I want you to pay off all your debt. It's like, God, God, why? We're good. Like, we could do that in a couple of years. We don't need to do that right now. God goes, no, 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 I need you to do it right now. So we move into a basement apartment. 
We live there for six months. We pay off all of our debt. We go to a, I go to a cabin by myself for a weekend to go and spend some time with God. And I felt like God told me in that moment, quit your job. Leave. Your dream job. Staff of eight people, great salary, leading thousands of students. Quit. Why? God, God, I don't even know what I'm going to do. You remember that conference I gave you an idea for seven years ago? I want you to go and do that. God, how am I going to raise the money for that? I don't know. Go. And so I walked out of the cabin, and three days later, I walked into my boss's office and quit my job. And if I started to tell you the things that happened from that moment, the phone calls that I got, the random dude from Wisconsin who I had never met before in my entire life who calls me and says, I have a 10-day all-expense-paid trip to Israel. Do you want to go? If I told you the number of people who called me and said, hey, we'd love to book you to speak at our event, I'd never even met these people before. But God began to open doors in my life, things that I never thought were ever possible. Because you know what I said? I don't care if people think I'm crazy for leaving this job. I don't care if people think you're crazy. You're 29 years old and you're married and you're living in a basement. I don't care what people think about me. I care about honoring God. And so I'm going to do that and trust him with what happens next. And I'm telling you, y'all, when you start to do this, you start to see God do extraordinary things. Because when you care more about honoring God than what other people think, you become a candidate for God to do extraordinary things. When you care more about honoring God than what other people think, you become a candidate for God to do extraordinary things in and through your life. You start seeing doors open that you never thought were possible. You start going places that you never thought you could go. You start doing things that you never thought you were capable of doing, and you start becoming a person that you never thought you could be. I am telling you, when you care more about honoring God than what other people think, you become a candidate for God to do extraordinary things. I could give you example after example after example after example about how I know this is true, but let's just go with one. We're talking about David, let's go back to the beginning of David's story. Everyone know the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, you know. Giant talking trash. David shows up on the scene with a gangster lean, gets his stone, throws it at Goliath's head. Goliath falls. He dies. You know the story? Can I remind you of some of the details you might have forgotten? That David's brothers were actually out at war. They were battling. And David was the only one who was not called into the war, so he's sitting at home with his dad. And his dad says, David, I want you to go to the battle lines and I want you to take your brother's lunch. And so David grabs his Herschel book bag and some Lunchables out the fridge and he packs up his book bag and walks to the battle lines. And when he gets there, he hears something in the distance. And so he looks up and he goes, who's that dude? Do y'all hear that? Is he, is he talking trash about us? Does he not know who we are? And what are y'all doing? Y'all just gonna let him say that? You just gonna let him talk about your mama? You better go do something. Nah, bro, do you see how big he is? What? Do you know who our God is? Do you know how big our God is? Are you kidding me? Get out the way, I'll fight him. And his brothers, as soon as he says that, show up and they go, who do you think you are? You can't fight him. You can't beat him. You're just a kid. He's a giant. He will destroy you. And David turns to his brother and does the same thing he did to his wife. He goes, shut up. And hold these Lunchables, bruh. (laughs) You, hold my earrings. Take this armor. I don't need that. You come at me with sword and spear. I come at you at the name of the Lord God Almighty, 
Who do you think you are? Uh Uh-uh. Today it ends for you. Today it's over for you. Give me my slingshot. And he aims, and he fires. And the giant goes falling down. And David proceeds to stand over the dead body of Goliath and grabs the sword out of Goliath's head, hand, and he cuts off the head of the giant and stands and looks at his people like, y'all for real? This is what you were afraid of? This is what you said couldn't be beaten? This is the trial you said I couldn't get through? This is the situation you said I couldn't face? This is the doctor's report that I got that you said God couldn't do? Are you kidding me, this? No, 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 you don't know who my God is. So you might think I'm crazy. And you might think a 12-year-old kid can't beat a giant, but I just came to let you know that I care more about honoring him than anything you could ever say. And God did an extraordinary thing through his life. Here's what's crazy about David and I'll be done. You know, David was just a regular dude. I think sometimes we read stories of people in the Bible and we make them out to be something that they're not. You know, David, there was nothing extraordinary about him. In fact, the moment that he found out that he was going to be the king, his dad threw a party. Samuel came over to find the next king and he looks at all of the brothers and goes, nope, it's not you. Nope, it's not you. No, it's not you. No, it's not you. Jesse, do you have any other sons? He's like, uh, oh yeah, I got one more. He's out in the field. David? Yeah, I mean, he's the youngest. It's David. Go get him. Go get him. We will not sit down until David's in the house. And David walks in and Samuel goes, that's the guy. That's the one. The shepherd in the field, that's the one. The ordinary one, that's the one. The one from the broken family, that's the one. The one who's barely able to pay their way through college, that's the one. The one who doesn't have the best clothes or the best outfit, that's the one. The one with the broken reputation, that's the one. You know why that's the one? Because that one cares about me. Because that one cares more about me than about them. Because that one cares more about honoring me than what other people think about him. I want that one, I want David. David wasn't perfect, David had his mistakes. But the banner that hung over David's life was a man after God's own heart. David cared more about honoring God than what other people thought. And God did an extraordinary thing in and through David's life. We're still talking about him today. So my suggestion to us is simply this, that maybe it's time that we start doing what David did. That we start walking in the rooms and saying, shut up. And we dance for him. Now, I'm not saying you should walk into your 10 a.m. tomorrow morning And your professor's like, hey, how you doing? You're like, shut up. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that you get home for Easter and your mom's like, oh, honey, it's so good to see you. Shut up, Susan. (laughs) I'm dancing for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, that when you choose to honor God, when you choose to honor God, there'll be moments where doubt creeps in. There'll be moments when insecurity creeps in. There'll be moments when fear creeps in. There'll be moments where anxiety creeps in. 
And maybe in those moments, we need to say to those feelings, what David said to his wife and what David said to his brother, shut up my fear, shut up anxiety, shut up depression, shut up doubt, shut up. I'm not going to stand for what you have to say. I'm going to dance for my God. What if we did that? What if we decided to be a group of people who cared more about honoring God than what other people think? I'll leave you with these last few words from the great theologians, Walk the Moon. Some of you have heard of them before. They said this, don't you dare look back. Just keep your eyes on him. There's no more holding back. Just say, shut up to your doubt. Shut up to your fear. Shut up to your depression. Shut up to your anxiety. And dance for Jesus. And you might just find that your God will do extraordinary things through your ordinary life. Amen? Father, we love you. And we thank you that you're a God who doesn't need us to be perfect. You're a God who doesn't need us to be extraordinary. You already are. You just need an ordinary group of college students, an ordinary group of young adults who care more about what you say than what other people think. And so God, would you give us the courage to follow you? Would you give us the courage to trust you? Would you give us the courage to live our lives for you in spite of what other people say or think about us? And as we do that, God, would you begin to do extraordinary things in and through our lives? We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.